verse 31 to 43. Exodus 28, verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all the blue. It shall have opening for the head in the middle of it, with a woven building around the opening, like the opening in the garment, so that it may not tear. On each hem you shall make pomegranate of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of golden gold between them. A golden bell of the pomegranate, a golden bell, and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministered, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, so he so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like an engraving of signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten in its turban by the cold of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as the holy gift. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with the needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and cap. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron's brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thigh, and they shall be errands and on his sons when they go into the tents of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statue forever for him and for his offspring after him. This is the word of God. Thank you, Paul. Paul's completed two of his three uh, ordination exams. So praise God for that. And then he has what we call the big book report, a huge exegetical paper that we're still going to schedule time for that sometime, right, Paul? Sometime we can do that. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would have, by the Holy Spirit, a word for us, Lord, that would challenge us, encourage us, comfort us with the mercy and grace that you have so richly and so undeservingly provided to us in your Son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. One of the most dangerous jobs in America is an aerial lineman, which you've just seen a picture of. These electricians step out of the helicopter, way up in the sky, wearing a Faraday suit. It's to block the electromagnetic field so that they can work on live electrical wires. These wires carry as much, as a load as, as much as 800 kilovolts pulsing through these wires 
so much electricity that they, it literally weighs the wires down from their weight. 800 kilovolts, that's 800,000 volts of electricity. Put that in perspective. In your homes today is probably on your kitchen counter a toaster, regular 120 volts, enough to toast you if you were to touch it. And here these workmen step out and work on live wires wearing these Faraday suits. But as dangerous as an aerial lineman's job is, the most dangerous job in the Old Testament was being a high priest. He also was to wear special clothing required to enter God's holy presence or else he would be toast. God's presence is so holy, such pure power, ultimate perfection, that any mortal, corruptible creature getting too close is dangerously, uh, inevitably will fry. Imagine getting close to the sun. We love the sun, it's pure and it's good, and we want it to shine, especially on a cold morning like today, amen? Get too close at 96 million miles away, and that gives us a semblance of what it might mean to understand the holiness of God. And yet the Lord God commanded the tabernacle to be built so that he could dwell in the presence of his people. And in order to do that, he consecrated priests to facilitate worship. So we've been looking at these priests and what they, they wear in this chapter, chapter uh, 28, these very special sacred and symbolic clothing described in the chapter as holy for what? For glory and beauty of the Lord. We looked at the ephod, the breastpiece of judgment, the, and today the priestly robe, the tunic, the turban, and yes, even the skivvies that the priest would wear, there is significance behind the underwear and purpose. And we see in this passage just how seriously God takes worship and the, and the awesome responsibility of entering into the tabernacle to meet with God. So let's look at these items one by one. Look with me at verses uh, 31 to 35. This robe was a beautifully deep color, similar to the entrance veil to the holy, most holy place in the tabernacle. It was a seamless garment that went under the ephod and, and hung down to the knees. Think of a poncho. And it was fringed, it says, with golden bells and pomegranates. Has anyone ever tried a pomegranate? Pomegranate juice? Lovely fruit. What does that symbolize? Well, in the Old Testament, it would have symbolized fruitfulness. Again and again, and we see again here, things that would remind or harken back to the Garden of Eden and the beautiful fruit and fruitfulness of that place. The priests would wear these pomegranates reminding themselves and the people of what was lost and what will be restored in the garden. What about the bells? What's up with these bells? Cheryl and I used to go hiking in uh, Mammoth Lakes, uh, uh, California, which is big bear country, brown bear, a few black bear from time to time. Hikers there are supposed to wear a bear bell to warn the bears before you come around a bend. So you're hiking along and you hear the jingle jangle of that bell and that's supposed to, 
to spook the bears so they'll run off so you don't come around the corner and spook them and turn into lunch. Those bells don't work. <laughs> they sell a lot of bells uh, out in California, but in reality, the, the uh, rangers say they really don't work. Imagine shaking a little bell at a bear. What's that going to do? Just kind of annoy the, 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 the bear and maybe make, make him or her think, yeah, this, this looks like time for a dinner bell. So the bells are here in Scripture, and they also aren't there to warn the Lord as if the priest's entrance into this holy place would suddenly catch the Lord off guard. Now, as we study uh, historical uh, facts of this time, and it's really a, the, the reverence given when entering into royal presence. Coming into the throne room, uh, a subject would be announced with the ringing of bells to show honor uh, to and majesty uh, to the king. And so that's the bell's representation here. The fruit to remind of, of the garden and hear these bells jingling as he walked that he is walking on holy ground, entering into the tabernacle. Now we're talking about symbols and symbolic meanings, but look at verse 35. It gets very real very quickly. He says he must do this. Why? so that he will not die. That means approaching God carelessly can lead to death. Every aspect of the tabernacle service that we've been studying involves intentional actions on the part of the priests and the people that the Lord taught them for the purpose of really impressing upon them, I am the Holy One. Look at verses 36 to 38. Here we have the turban, this headdress. It was engraved with a golden uh, plate. And I know this sounds strange, but stick with me. We'll try to make sense of it together. He would wear a turban with a gold plate. And what did it read? Holy to the Lord. Holy to Yahweh. Now this inscription marked the high priest as belonging to the service of the Lord. Look at verse 38. That Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. I was trying to make sense of the plate. The plate, what, okay, well, our staff, we wear name, name tags. They're like plates. Is, is that a significance? And then you really look at what the words say here. Aaron's to, to wear this to bear any guilt for our from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate before the Lord. What does that mean? It means the holy things, the things the people are offering in worship, need to be covered. They're offerings to God. Why? Because there still may be some, some sin or guilt or some iniquity attached to them, some imperfection. Maybe some of you here have worked in a clean room. I know there are a number of them in this, in this region where you have to wear special clothing and, and walk in and all the dust particles have to be uh, cleaned away from your, your clothes and your shoes. Why? Because when you go into where there's sensitive equipment, even the smallest particle of dust or dirt could get in and destroy that in instrument. And, and here the Lord is saying, the high priest is to wear this this plate saying holy to the Lord 
so that the offerings of the people could be acceptable. Now, I would think that it would say so that he can cover for all the deficits of the people, for, for the lack of worship. But what it's actually saying is the high priest officially represents the people before the Lord in bringing their offerings that they want to bring to God. This is a reminder of consecration placed so conspicuously on the head that symbolize the importance of approaching the Lord God in holiness, that even the things that we think are good and pleasing and acceptable to the Lord need to be covered. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 39 to 41. We have here this long tunic, also linen and and a sash embroidered with fine needlework, and the description of the other priestly clothes also made for glory and beauty for the Lord but not as nice as Aaron's. And then, of course, we have, in verses 42 and 43, the linen undergarments that I just mentioned a moment ago. Now, why would this be significant? The Lord said this garment was given to cover their nakedness. And it's a reminder where we were before in this series. Look at chapter 20, verse 26. You shall not go up by the steps to my altar that your nakedness your creatureliness, the fact that you are made from dust, would be exposed before the Lord. It's a reminder to the priests that they are utterly without any merit to come before the Lord. And so their creatureliness, their humanness, must be covered. And it would also remind them again of the garden. What happened with Adam and Eve when they became aware of themselves? What did they do? They covered themselves. And the Lord provided skins of the animals to to cover them. And these priests are being, again, reminded again and again that they must be covered before the Lord. Look at verse 43. All these symbols come to reality, lest they bear guilt and die. What's the point? The point is this. We fail to appreciate just how dangerous it is to come into God's presence in an unworthy manner. It's fatal, but by his grace. The Lord commands such supreme holiness that it's so dangerous even to approach him, but by his grace. That is a theme throughout the book of Exodus, and it's critical for our understanding of godly worship. When the Lord approached Moses uh, in the bush, what was that bush doing? It was burning. It was on fire. Danger. When the Lord came to Egypt, he sent the avenging angel, and the people were only safe by the marking of blood on the doorposts. Terrifying. And when the people crossed the dry land and the seas were parted, they crossed dry land, and you can imagine these walls of water. You know, I think I would be more afraid of drowning than I would be of electricity, don't you think? Because if you're electrified, it would happen in an instant, but to drown? How absolutely terrifying. Again and again, in the book of Exodus, we're reminded to come into God's presence is a terrifying thing. For so much so that as the people leave Egypt and they've crossed to the other side and they come to Mount Sinai, the Lord says to the people, don't even touch the foot of my mountain lest you die. 
again and again we get this warning and danger of this glorious presence of God unless we have a mediator, unless we have a high priest, and unless that mediator, that high priest, is properly dressed to come into the presence of the holy God. We fail to appreciate how dangerous it is to come into God's presence in an unworthy manner because, listen, we tend to base our relationship with God on our performance instead of His grace. So if we're performing well, then we expect, well, God's going to bless us. God's going to give us some juice. And if we haven't done so well during the week, well, we expect we'll get a, a little bit more from the Lord, a reduction of blessing, and we'll try harder next time. The text this morning says, the high priest shall bear any guilt of the people's holy things, their good intentions. They're trying to insulate themselves from, from the world's darkness. Yet that would never be good enough. Your commitment, your discipline, your service, none of it will merit to us righteousness. What we must realize in order to grow as Christ-centered disciples, in order for the gospel to be relevant in our lives, is the realization that your daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of your own performance. It's not what you do. It's what he has done. But if you do this, my friends, if you acknowledge that any merit comes from him, then you will experience freedom and joy and new life. Oh God, forgive the iniquity of the holy things we try to offer you, to bargain with you. You see, God's wrath was stricken on Jesus. He took all, absorbing all of that dark energy that the Bible calls sin into himself, Romans 4.25, that he was delivered over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The scripture says that Jesus is our high priest. He's gone in before us, holy to the Lord, because he is the Lord, and he absorbed a kajillion watts for God's people. I've been trying in this series to, to help us get a connection between the Old Testament and New to see this is all God's great story and his covenant with his people. Turn with me to, to John chapter 19 to see this connection. Because I think you're going to get this way more now that we've been going through this series than, than you would have without studying the book of Exodus. That Jesus Christ is the one man the Father appointed to be our great high priest. This is on page 905, uh, John chapter 19. He tells us the soldiers at, at his crucifixion twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and array, arrayed him with a purple robe. It says the Roman soldiers placed on our Lord's scorched back and shoulders a robe of purple. They, they did it to mock him. 
But we know that this was like the garment the high priest would wear. The high priest of Israel. His killers clothed our Lord with the garments of the high priest for glory and for beauty. And then drop down to verse 23. Quote, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. John here quotes Psalm 22, the psalm most frequently quoted in the New Testament, in which the psalmist David provides prophetic details of the execution scene of our Lord and Savior 1,000 years before they took place, including Jesus' garments in which they cast lots for, this item of clothing that was not torn. The Roman soldiers unsuspectingly are fulfilling Scripture. Jesus' enemies are unconsciously participating in God's plan, pointing to his role as priest and king. We, we talk a lot about the symbolism of these passages in Exodus and throughout this series, but here's the reality and why this is relevant to our life in Jesus Christ. It's this passage of Scripture right here. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That Jesus Christ bore your sins on his shoulders. That he carries your concerns close to his heart. Just as the high priest wore the names of the people on his shoulders and carried them close to his heart. That he presents you and me before God. And he enables us to know God's will in order to serve him. And he fulfills his priestly work. And he stands in perfect holiness, holy to the Lord. And that's where the power comes from in our worship and in our life. It's not the things that you try to do for God that get you plugged in. It's what he has done for you. The Bible says Jesus, Hebrews 7.26, is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. He is holy for us so we can be holy for God. Those linemen working with electricity have to be insulated, don't they, and grounded. But did you notice one item of clothing as we wrap this up this morning, one item of clothing that's missing for the high priest, look at all the details of their clothing from head down to, wait a second, what's missing? Shoes. Why no shoes? Because they were walking on holy ground. You'll never be fully convicted of the great need of God's power and grace until you contrast yourself with the majesty, glory, power and holiness of God in which Jesus has invited you to come near. And you will not ever come into his presence and walk on holy ground unless you repent and acknowledge your need 
and plead, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That humble attitude of faith will draw you to the riches of God's grace. May God open our eyes to the tragedy of rejecting him. May God open our ears that we may hear the out-of-key, ruinous worship that's careless and thoughtless and about us and about our needs instead of him. And may the Lord Jesus open your heart and jolt it to new life. Amen.